Thanks for answering. <laughs> been a while uh, since I've been here. And we'll see, we have liftoff. That's a good start. Uh, great to see you all again. Forgive me in some cases if I draw a blank coming up with a name. I think I remember now saying that last time I was here. There's a lot of you I've known from many years from Wildwood days and sometimes uh, I don't visit often enough to keep the database up uh, a quick enough retrieval that I come up with your name, but uh, it's good to see you. I'm going to move this a little bit because I'm likely to do some damage to it or me. So I just want to say a few things about MSC before we begin this morning. Uh, some of you won't know what that is. Many of you do. MSC was a missionary service committee started back in 1940 and has been engaged with Wallenstein Bible Chapel since it, it was founded. And we serve uh, missionaries. We help local churches send their own workers. And so uh, I'm not going to get into to that because that's not why I'm here this morning, but I didn't want uh, some of you who aren't familiar with MSC going, what was, what's that all about? Uh, and I just want to give you a quick update on three points before we move into our passage. Um, first of all, uh, April 1st, which is just next Saturday, I think, Randy Hoffman will be taking over as executive director. He is known to many of you here. He's probably related to many of you here. <laughs> that would be an interesting thing. Who can claim some kind of relationship somewhere with him? Quite a, but he grew up here, and he's known very well here. And uh, he's been sort of shadowing me for the last six months or so. And um, we're looking forward to him stepping into that role. And frankly, I'm looking forward to stepping out of that role. We'll be continuing uh, to serve with MSC. Uh, Marilyn and I will carry on. We'll be looking after risk management, which is a whole program development that, uh, program and department that we're developing. And uh, Marilyn and I together also do uh, look after the worker care for workers in Africa and the Middle East, and we'll continue to do that. And we'll be more engaged, perhaps, in our Zimbabwe assistance program, uh, which has been going on and Marilyn's been carrying the, the uh, load of that since I started at MSC uh, 11 and a half years ago. So appreciate your prayers for Randy as he takes over. Also want to just remember, point out the Ukraine relief fund, the war's going on and on and on. It could be a very long, long thing. And um, we do uh, experience in some of these long things what we would call donor fatigue. Uh, but I just wanted you to be aware that uh, we have six of our workers through whom we work in neighboring countries and uh, uh, funds are going over, uh, food relief, but also tremendous spiritual work being done. Don't have time to bring a full report on that this morning. Also, the earthquake uh, relief fund for Turkey. Marilyn and I were there visiting uh, in Antakya, Turkey, one of the hardest hit cities from the earthquake. Uh, we were there the day before the earthquake hit. We, we left about 12 hours before the earthquake hit. Antakya was just about wiped out. Workers on the right, Rick and uh, Darlene Monroe, the fellow in the gray uh, jacket is uh, Hamdullah, his, along with his wife Almas. They are the workers on the ground there, national workers who uh, carry the, the load uh, in the local church there. And we were with them. Uh, this is a restaurant we ate in. The next day, this is what it looked like. We, um, we have some falafel in this place and the street outside of it, that's what it looked like a couple of days later. So this is the little church uh, where they work, um, the old building, and uh, now it's a wreck. You can see the, the sign up there that uh, Antakya Christian Church is what it means, and you can see it down here in the rubble 
on the right. And so it's a tremendous destruction. This is a little courtyard in the church building. However, a new church was under underway, under construction. And one of the reasons we were going was to see this, and it was all being built to the highest earthquake-proof standards, and in fact, it did stay, stand, and uh, survive quite well. And uh, out of that building, they are doing all kinds of relief efforts, and Hemdullah and Almas are exhausted. They've been sleeping in their their van for uh, quite a while now, and it's uh, something we need to pray about. So I just bring those few little points up there, and we move on now to our passage. I want to just uh, recognize those who are joining us from uh, remotely from home perhaps or in the overflow areas and uh, out there in Zoom land and uh, hope that you're able to hear and see and feel a part of things where you are as well. The story we've just read, I hope you're able to follow along. I really struggle when someone's reading scripture, my mind wanders and it's difficult. But for many of us, we know those stories. Uh, Some of us who are really old can picture the flannel graph uh, uh, telling of all those stories and uh, it's uh, very familiar stories. Now this is a big passage and it's from the book of John. So it's kind of difficult to cover and it's the kind of thing that could be done so many different ways. And, And I've spent a lot of time actually over the last, I knew about this text for a couple months, I guess, but it's always been in the back of my mind how to, how to approach it, and, and that's changed quite a bit, even in the last 48 hours, frankly. And it, it's something that, uh, as I got thinking about covering the stories in the book of John, it's a little bit different. And I was thinking about how connected John is to the spiritual realm. And I got thinking about, oh, we've lost our feed. Interesting. Shall I try replugging or something? Sorry? Well, let's, uh, let's try. First, I'm going to escape from my presentation, and then I'm going to unplug. And then I'm going to plug back in. I think we can do this without PowerPoint. Oh, we got, we're there. Oh, here we are. You know, in, in curling and chess and some other things, you can hit this clock that stops and you get like two timeouts or something, a game, you know? And uh, we just need the preacher's timeout clock here. I think they're bringing that into baseball now with the pitch clock too. You can get one timeout and not bat or something. Okay, let's try now to do this. There we are. Okay. All righty. Okay. Well, as the referee says in hockey, would the timekeeper please reset the clock? Okay. Yeah, so, so um, how hard is it for you to really, like in your ordinary daily life, feel connected to the spiritual realm, to God's kingdom, like you've got this connection, strong connection to your spiritual self, to who you are in Christ. For those of you who have accepted Christ as your Savior, we know the Spirit lives in us, that we are in Christ and He is in us, and that we have this great connection. But how hard is it to sort of be aware of that and feel that? I struggle. 
I struggle through the day. Well, you know, why is that? Well, a lot of it's our nature, isn't it? We're, we're physical beings, and, and we live in a physical world, and we have this fallen nature that we unfortunately don't lose when we accept Christ. We receive the new nature, but the world is so much in our face and our bodies and everything. You know, we can be having a time with the Lord where we really feel his presence. We're thinking about eternal things. We're going about our business and, and, and really, you know, feeling like we're right there. And then we just have to stub our toe or something. And it all has gone. It's like the body just takes right over. And it's right in our face. And all we can think about is our, like, it, it's so easy Maybe I'm alone. You're looking at me as though you think maybe I'm some second-class Christian here, and maybe that's true. But I'm sure there's somebody out there who struggles with that as well, staying, feeling connected to the spiritual realm. It's also part of the fall. And, and I like it. Some, I, I, this is a quote I picked up from somebody a long, long time ago. I don't know who or I'd give them credit, but this is a great idea that, that one of the greatest tragedies of the fall is that when sin entered the world, we stopped thinking of ourselves as spiritual beings that have a body and started thinking of ourselves as physical beings that might have a spirit or might not. Right? Does that make sense? We think of ourselves, yeah, I'm, who's Phil Barnes? Well, I'm this human guy with a body and that, and yeah, I have a spirit. And for some of you, you might just be investigating this spiritual realm. But we don't think of ourselves primarily as spiritual beings inhabiting this temporary body that's, you know, it's a, a flash in time. And uh, thank you, Andreas, for reminding me how old I am and how long we've been at this. But boy, has it gone fast. Has it ever gone fast? And you younger people roll your eyes, because I did, and the old people tell, especially when you got little kids, isn't that great when people my age say, oh, it goes by so fast. We know, I just want to punch them. <laughs> and, and, uh, but, but my goodness, has it ever gone fast? Yeah, we were commended to the, to the Lord's work in 1985, which is 38 years ago, is that right? And been at MSC now in this role for 11 and a half years, and, and that's just gone. And these bodies we have are just a little flash of time and, and gone but our souls, our spirits are forever and forever. And so we need to think that way. John is always in that realm. This is the thing about John compared to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which other, I haven't had time to listen to all the messages. I listened to Gary's first one in this series and part of the second one, and well, you know, it's about all I could take. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> By the way, for those of you who don't know, Gary and I go way back and, uh, I think I first knew him when he was 14, 15, 16, and, and uh, we've, we've done a lot together over the years, so we're very good friends, so I, I'm allowed to, to... He's coming along, though, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. So uh, I listened to some of it, but John always has... Like, like, he tells the same stories, many of the same stories as what's called the synoptic gospels, which are sort of more through the disciples' eyes or through uh, a spectator's eyes. And John is more through God's eyes and from the spiritual perspective of what's going on. And he's a sort of a different... And sometimes John's a little weird, isn't it? If you know your Bibles, he's a little bit weirder than the other, other Gospels. You know, have you ever thought about the fact that when we say, you know what we should do? 
we should print up one book of the Bible out of 66 and give it to people who don't know anything about God. Which book do we choose? Gospel of John. People print up Gospels of John all the time. And it's sort of the weirdest. Why is it weird? Well, it's weird because it's exposing the spiritual realm, which isn't weird. We're weird. It's like the egg commercial, isn't it? But we have, we, we live in this physical world that is changing all the time. It's shifting sand. There is no moral compass. There is, there, there is no truth. And, and it's, 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 not, it's not real. And when John exposes to us what's really going on in eternal, spiritual, heavenly realms, it seems very strange. So he, he tells his stories the way we do. And he chose the, I'm sorry, the way the other gospel writers do. And he chose them very carefully. And we have these two verses near the end. They're not together as I put them, but they're right near the end of his letter. And I know that they've already been referred to in this series. He says, Jesus did many other things as well, and he uses a little hyperbole. He says, if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So obviously hyperbole there. But earlier, a couple of verses earlier, he had said, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. And he's very carefully chosen stories to convey that. And so he's, what he's left out is important. What he's chosen is important. There's a message in that as well as in the actual words, excuse me, of the stories. So when he tells a story, like, you know, when he tells the Christmas story, you know, when, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Luke tell the, the story, it's, it's, it's stables and myrrh and frankincense and angels and shepherds and you know, like you get the whole Sunday school up here in their bathrobes and towels every year, and that—that's what—that's what they're, what he, what they're talking about. And when he's talking about the Christmas story, what does he say? Word in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's weird. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory—the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, not of Mary and Joseph, full of grace and truth. We beheld His glory here on earth, the glory of God in human form. That's how John tells the Christmas story, very, very differently. And when, when you move through the chapters, I'd love to do every story like this, but we, 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 it's not our purpose today. As he gets to chapter 3 and that encounter with Nicodemus, the things that he is saying are unlike anything else in the other Gospels. He's saying he came down from heaven. Standing there in the dark with this poor guy who, who's afraid to seek Jesus for fear of, of his colleagues, the religious people. Jesus is saying, yeah, I have come down from heaven. You've got to be born again. You have to be born of the Spirit. This is all way too much. This is all weird. This is all mind-blowing stuff. And John's not afraid to, sh to share that because he is... He is showing that Jesus is the bridge between this eternal spiritual kingdom and physical, right, the glory. He came in, in earthly form, in human form, and he was revealed to us the glory of God. And he showed us the grace and the truth of God. And he said this strange thing. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everybody who is born of the Spirit. This is early on in his ministry. 
And he's telling us we have to be born of the Spirit, and we all know John 3.16, which comes a few verses later. But do you know Christ as your Savior? Does, does this in any way typify your life? Don't know where I'm going next. Don't know what I'm doing next. Spirit of God's going to take me somewhere. He's going to ask me to do something. We're going to go together, and it's going to be a real adventure. And I don't, I don't have a clue what's next. Have you met some people like that? I have. They're quite remarkable, usually. You, you get a sense pretty quickly that, that they've got a connection with God that I don't have. It's like, wow. They really are just walking in step with the Spirit. And we say that as though it's something strange. Woman at the well, we won't take time on that. As we get to the, to the feeding of the 5,000, we see that John is seeing what's going on in the spiritual realm. And we, we have verses like this later on in the, in the New Testament, right? For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. People who are actually being, you know, led by the Spirit. Like the wind blows and comes and goes, and that's what people who are led by the Spirit are like. And they say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. It's Galatians 5. And then we have the fruit of the Spirit in there, in case you're wondering what that looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the kinds of things that, that people who walk by the Spirit exhibit. And he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. We've just taken communion, celebrating the fact that we're alive in Christ by the Spirit of God. And now he's saying, well, that's true. Let's go walk by the Spirit. Wow. It's that extra little reach, isn't it? It's a little bit farther. And, and John's always framing these stories in that, in that way. Now, I want you to think of something going on in your life this week. Something personal. You don't have to say it. I'm not going to ask you to share it. Just something that happened. Conflict at work. Doesn't have to be bad. Could be something good. Maybe you got a new car. I don't know. Something that happened. Incident that comes to mind. Don't overthink it. I want you to think about a, a world event from this week. Something on the news. Something that happened. Pick one. And now I want you to think of an issue in society that really concerns you. Something going on in society. Okay, I hope you've done that. That wasn't rhetorical, by the way. I really wanted you to do that. If you didn't, you lose. It's okay. We, uh, we think about the wicked world we live in, the systems of this world, the prince of the power of the air, as the Bible calls Satan. And, and uh, I pulled up these pictures and put them together and sort of tried to make a, something that gives us that feeling. You know, we, we, we increasingly feel the hostility of the environment we live in, don't we? For following Christ. It isn't getting more hostile, actually. We're just feeling it more. Some of the window dressing that isolated us, insulated us from the wickedness of the systems of this world are falling away. In many ways, we're just joining the church because for 2,000 years in most of the world, the church has been very out of step with the culture it lived in completely in, in a hostile environment. We've lived in a very comfortable one in the West for 150, 200 years. So it's sort of ending, but we don't have a right to it. We don't have a right to it. And if you can think about the world event that was in your mind, can you connect that to the wickedness, to the systems of this world, to the, the conspirators, the people behind the scenes, to Satan himself who, who has a plan, an evil mastermind who who is, is orchestrating the things of this world. It has a glossy veneer on it, but things are not as they seem. There's a lot of wickedness behind it. 
Now, whatever world event you had in your mind, can you somehow see how those are connected? I, maybe you can. What about the social issues that came to mind, whatever that was? Can you see the working behind the scenes? And what about your own life, your own little incident, whether it's something going on in your family, whether it's some kind of problem financially, whether it's a health issue, whatever it is you've got. And you know, it is so easy for us to become very, very good at detecting the evil, sinister plans behind the news, behind the events. We get good at it. And we have, uh, at, at an extreme level, we have conspiracy theories, we have explanations as to why there are people manipulating things. And I, I just want to say as Christians, let's not be surprised by that. Since Genesis 3, we have known that Satan is the prince of the power of the earth. He's at work in the children of darkness. He, there is an evil mastermind pulling the strings behind the scenes. We should know that better than anybody. And sometimes we get consumed with trying to expose those things. I don't believe that's really our call. I believe our call is to be connected to the kingdom of light, that we've been rescued out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his glorious light in which we ought to live and move and have our being and, and be connected and understand that whatever the sinister plans behind the, the events as we see them are, God has a bigger plan and God is in control and that we are his and he is ours and we can move with joy and confidence the, the fruit of the spirit is not fear and anxiety it is, it, it is not being perplexed and at our wits end it is not wringing our hands and being fretful no, it's love and joy and peace because and everything important has already been decided it's all been taken care of and we get to live that out with him and, and, and many of the, the, the wickedest things going on in the world, we can sit on the balcony with the Lord, sipping an iced tea and watching it unfold, watching the train wreck. He knows all about it. He's told us it's going to happen. In the, in, in the last days, perilous times will come. Read that section. It's not a, not a, not a surprise. And, and he doesn't want us to be so consumed with, ah, look at that, look at this, look at this. Oh, and I know, you know, uh, Soros and Gates and, and whatever else we think of these, who these evil masterminds are, the Illuminati, the whatever. Yeah, it's all Satan. It's just, just all, it's all his people. It's all his forces. That's, yeah, and of course they're doing their thing. Their time's running out. They're like, they're like the bulldog on the end of the chain in the yard. Their, their turf is very clearly prescribed. There's no dirt left. It's all full of, of, his, of his mess and dirt, and it's awful. But he's on that chain and the time's running out and, and so we should not be surprised by, by that at all and so how good are you at seeing what God is doing behind the scenes now we're at a point where you're saying this has nothing to do with John 6 <laughs> and in a way, a way that's true but just the way the gospel of John is painted on this whole backdrop it's like he starts off not with a blank canvas he starts off with the background of eternity and God's 
eternal spiritual realm, which we are a part of. And the real me isn't this body. The real me is Phil Barnes, who is seated in Christ, the right hand of God. That's the real me. Whatever happens to this body, it's quite immaterial. Whatever happens to in this society, whatever happens to this planet, it's all under the all-seeing eye of God, under his plan, his control. And, and it's not that big a deal if I'm in Christ and he in me. How good are you at, how connected are you to the spirit of God? How practiced are you at placing your story and world events and God's eternal, I'm sorry, and social trends on God's eternal spiritual background? What I mean by that is we're much better at placing those things in the wickedness of this society and saying, oh, that's, this is because of that. And, and, and look at the social trends are so, 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 so terrible. And these issues that we deal with and we see and we're shocked by sometimes and, and, and all the hand-wringing rather than saying, how does God view that? You, you might already be saying, well, how does God view that? Well, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to illustrate how we need to get practiced at, at seeing how all of this stuff is on that, that uh, canvas. So as we look at, with our remaining time, we look at the story now. I'm going to invite you to try to find yourself in this story. Is the kind of, of, of people in this story I'm going to highlight or categorize. It's not like you're this or you're that forever. It's that you might move around a little bit among these characters. Well, let's, let's get on with it and meet the list of characters. The first one's the groupies. Now, the groupies are a great crowd of people that followed him because they saw the signs. Okay, so he had healed the sick and all that, but the, John gives them credit for understanding this isn't just about getting healed. It's not just about bringing my loved ones and getting the physical. It's about this is a sign of bigger things. This healing is great, but it's also a sign of something else. And these, these groupies are people, because we know that not many of them are at the foot of the cross, right? There's thousands and thousands of people here. They're not, they're not going to carry on following him very long. <clears throat> but we know, they know there's something there. And, and I don't know many of you, and some of you might be here, and you're searching. And, and you're here because you have questions. And you might be here because you have some friends who follow Jesus. And you see there's something there that, that you're thirsty for. And you sense there's something there. And so you're here this morning. That may well be true, fantastic, wonderful. You might be sensing there's something in it for them. Life might be very hard. You don't have the resources to face life. You, you just can't, don't have the capacity to deal with the things that are coming at you and you just sense that there's something there that you need. And these groupies are gonna to go to the next level. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus very, I believe, shrewdly, decides to go away. The synoptic gospels tell us some other reasons behind that, but we're not going to go there right now. He just leaves this crowd and goes up on a mountain. They all run around the lake and follow him and come. So there's a, there's a level of buy-in there. They can walk away. They can go home if they want to. They've got to be serious. Right? They're, they're, they're taking it a little bit to the next level to follow. And so <clears throat> that in itself is a message because for every one of us here this morning, there is always another door to push on. There's always the next thing that the Lord is leading us to. There's always the, the next level he's drawing us up and up and up to. 
And we always, always have the choice to just level off and say, good enough, good enough. I'm saved, pretty good lifestyle. I'm not, look pretty, I look pretty Christian most of the time, really Christian on Sunday mornings. And uh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, enough effort into this. And uh, everything else I need to know, I'll find out when I get to heaven. And uh, I do my devotions and I, you know, whatever. That tendency to just want to level off, the Lord never really lets us do that. He keeps drawing us up. He says, okay, you're interested? That's great. You've seen some signs? Great. Come on up on the mountain. Interested? Not interested. <clears throat> and the attitude of the groupies is maybe Jesus can help me do my thing. And, and by the way, I'm not speaking really negatively about this. On, on the contrary, it'll be up to you whether you move on from this or not. It's a little bit like your great drawing here on the wall. This is a, this is a journey. This is where are we headed? Are we, are we following Christ? Are we, are we going on to the next thing? So don't, don't think there's anything negative here. <clears throat> the next group we see is the invested because when they get up there, Jesus <coughs> turns to Philip and says, oh, where are we going to buy enough food here? And, and we have some slightly different insights from the other Gospels as well. But in this encounter, Jesus says this to test him. You might think, that's kind of mean, tricking, tricking the guy like this, trapping him. Uh, please understand the difference between a test and a trap. We don't understand that very well. We, we call them speed traps, don't we? They're not speed traps. Sorry, they really aren't. Nobody can trap you doing anything you, you, that you don't want to do. Like, the only one person on, in the, on the planet who's in control of how car, fast your car goes is you. You're the only one with your foot on the accelerator, and so you've got a choice how, how fast you drive. And if you get caught by a policeman, he's just there to, to test. He's there to find out. Let's have a look. Let's see if you're obeying the law or not. Oops, no, you're not. All right. Pulled over. He didn't trap you. He didn't trick you. Just found out what you were doing. And and this is not for Jesus to find out where, where Philip's really at. It's for Philip to find out where he's really at. You know, we get tests every day. There's all kinds of times through the day, and, and this is the thing, the more in tune we are with the Spirit, the more tests come our way because we're, we're, we're aware that, that we've got the Spirit now drawing our hearts in a different direction than they naturally want to go, a very different direction than the world around us wants it to go, and now we've got these little tests. And the more we grow in our faith, the more connected we are, the more tests we find. And that confirms to us, to him, to the people around us, and most of all to Satan, that we're living in the Spirit. Do you know that the, the battles that are won when we choose something that's against what our body wants us to do because the Spirit is leading us in a different direction? And it's not necessarily all bad stuff, you know, sexual drugs or whatever. It can just be going having a nap. It can be just, sorry, I'm not going to go and help that person because, you know, and the Lord says, you really should, you know. It's a test, isn't it? Not to fail, not to be trapped, not to be tricked, but just for us to realize we're not really being led by the Spirit, are we? I know what the Spirit of God wants me to do. I don't want to. He, he tests uh, Philip in this way, and, and, and you know how the story goes. 
But the people who are invested, the disciples who had walked away from their businesses or from their tax collecting or their fishing or whatever they were doing, gave it all up and were now following Jesus, were very invested. And sometimes that made them doubt. And you and I, who have followed Christ for many years, perhaps, sometimes also, we say, Lord, I've been doing this a long time. You sure this is right? And even those who've been on the road a long time can, can lie there in the middle of the night and say, what if this is all nonsense? And so the invested still need convincing sometimes. We still need to see. Philip still needs to see more. He needs to grow more. And you and I need to see more and grow more. He's not yet seeing what God is doing. See, Jesus already knows what he's going to do in this situation. What he needed to do was to participate. To participate. And he was going to witness Jesus multiplying the fish after they had gone and brought a few loaves and then handing it all out and then gathering it all back up. He's going to be right in the middle of it. We once, I won't tell the whole story, but we once ran a fundraiser which is at Stonebridge Bible Chapel, which is not usually what we would do. It was a charity auction to raise funds for Nicaragua. And we were going to send a container down. I won't tell the whole story. But as we put together this charity auction, we thought this is, it was really intended to engage our whole neighborhood, all come in, buy stuff. Well, uh, the day before the auction, there wasn't much stuff. <laughs> um, the day of, a whole pile of stuff rolled in. And then the night of, a whole pile of people rolled in. And we raised over $10,000. And we're just a little group. And um, one, of the, one of the elders' wives came up to me after, and she was quite shaken, quite emotional. And she says, I can't believe what, what's just happened. And she says to me, she knows that we, we've sort of lived by faith for years and been on the mission field and all that, and so she thinks, you know, anyway, she says, I know this kind of thing happens to you all the time, but I've never been a part of it myself. <clears throat> and and that's, that's kind of sad, because the Lord is at work everywhere around us. The atmosphere is crackling with what the Holy Spirit is doing and trying to do, and whether we're in part of it or not, and we need to participate in what he's doing. And, and Jesus was drawing him in to get, a, get in his head what he wanted to do. He wanted, it to, he wanted Philip and Andrew to understand what he was going to do, even though it was beyond their wildest dreams, for, him, for them to be able to see it's not too big. It's not too big to feed these people. Well, <clears throat> and so we start to think, maybe I can help Jesus do his thing. Maybe I can help get the five woes and two fishes and, and do that. And that's good, too. Well, we got to look at the righteous causers. I won't spend a lot of time here. But what happens is the, the, the masses, they see what Jesus is doing and they say, ah, we got the Romans, we got the Herodians, we got our religious oppressive leaders, we got these people. Let's take Jesus by force and make him a king. Well, sort of silly to even think about that, isn't it? But I think we do that. I think there's a lot of people that do that. Take Jesus by force and make it a king because their cause is righteous. They have their own agenda They've found some proof texts in Scripture that back up what they hate or what they love or what they want to do or whatever, and they've got some Bible verses on their side. What they need now is a a champion. They need a celebrity. And so let's get Jesus. I'm not going to comment on this at all, but I woke up this morning, fired up BBC, which I do every morning. Headline, God, Guns, and Trump. I went, okay, sounds like maybe someone's roped the Lord into something there. Is that really how life works?
works in the spirit. I'm not sure about that one. But I thought, I can't, I can't not mention that because we have this tendency to conscript Christ as our cause's champion. And that's a very different thing than finding out what he's doing and, and getting with his program. Usually our cause is going to take our life up and to the right. Things are going to get better for us. We'll get healed, we'll get rich, we'll get more comfortable in our neighborhoods or something, our school system will be, something's going to go up and to the right. But Jesus was pretty clear that following him is a downward path and life generally gets harder. That's why there's 10,000 here this day and a handful at the foot of the cross. That's the way it works. It's the why he, he told the parable of the four seeds, why he said four uh, soils, and only one of them out of the four springs up and, and actually uh, persists and flourishes. Well, what's the fourth one here? Oh yeah, Christ is an accessory. That's, these people are adding Jesus to their cause. Lord, we are going to do great things together. That's what we're saying when we take that attack. But then these disciples out rowing in the boat, and that's a fascinating story as well, but they're out there rowing, and we know that they're going against the wind and not making any headway. They're not getting anywhere. John doesn't care about the human experience too much there. Uh, he doesn't even mention Peter getting out and walking on the water, which is hilarious, really, when you think of it. Why? Because what they're experiencing is beside the point. The fact is, Jesus has come, and once they know it's him, and he says, do not be afraid. And that's what he says to us, because every time he leads us further and draws us out further, we get kind of scared. Because this whole blown where, where it wants to and, and the Spirit of God leading us and all of that can be very terrifying if we've got our life all mapped out. And, he, and when he comes to us and, 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 and takes us to the next level, which is really what happens here, the first thing he says is, don't be afraid. That's one of the biggest messages of the Bible. Right? I know you get Dale Ward here, so you've heard that there's 365 times that, that he says, fear not. Because Dale often references that. <laughs> Maybe you didn't notice that. But he often references that. In fact, that's how I know it. I've never counted. I just believe Dale. <clears throat> he says, I, and so they are glad, they gladly they receive him, willingly, eagerly, depends on how you look at that word. But, but yeah, yeah, come on in the boat. And immediately they're at shore. Boom. That's a surprise. <sighs> Get your water skis. <sighs> Can you imagine what that was like? Walking to you on the water, once you realize it's Jesus who just broke the bread, bring him in the boat, boom, you're there. And, and people who are all in, I want Jesus in my boat, and I, I know my need, I know I'm helpless, I know I can't make any headway, I can't get where I need to go, and I'll gladly welcome him into my whole life, and I'll want to live in his presence, I want to live in his power, propelling this boat, boom, and his direction. When you make the boat go immediately somewhere, it goes where you want it to go. And that is terrifying to us. Go where he says, do the things that can only be done in his power. And so when we think that way, we see Christ as an essential. So I ripped off this, this little phrase of that the other people saw Christ as an accessory. They want to make him king to do their thing. Whereas the disciples understand he's an essential. They've got to have him. I ripped that off from Randy Hoffman, actually. So if he comes and preaches a message on John 6 about the essentials and the accessory, when he gets to accessory, you can all yell it out, or essential, because, you know, it filled, filled, filled the beans. And this is where now our attitude of heart is, Lord, live your life through me. So 
groupies and righteous causes are focused on the darkness, focused on the, the, the sinister things behind the scenes, and the people who are invested at all in see all of this through the eyes of the Lord, through eternal perspectives. And maybe Jesus can help me do my thing. Maybe you're there this morning. The Lord's going to draw you on to say, maybe I can help Jesus do his thing. And, and maybe he'll draw you on further. Maybe you're going to say, Lord, we're going to do great things together. We have a story in Africa called the ant and the elephant. There's, maybe you know there's some of them that get around the world a bit. But there's one, my favorite, where the ant and the elephant walk over this bridge. And they get across there and the ant says to the elephant, boy, we really shook that bridge. <laughs> and, and sometimes we think we're going to do great things with the Lord. Guess who's doing it, right? But really where we want to live our life, where we need to live our life is, Lord, live your life through me your power, your presence. Do what, you, do what you want. Do what you're doing. You know what you're going to do. And we cannot persist in a relationship with, with the Lord that is largely in a, an advisory capacity where our prayers are all about advising him what he should do. Our, our prayers should be getting a hold of his highest will, what he is planning to do, and getting with his program. And so let's live our life. Let's let the Lord live his life through us. Let's live in the reality and the joy of eternity and not get sidetracked with the uh, sinister workings of Satan. Uh, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Thanks. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that as we consider these things, you would, you would help us to figure out where we are in that, in that story and to, to move forward in our relationship with you. We all sense you calling. We all sense you, you drawing us to the next thing. And, and we get scared and we get stubborn and we think we don't need to, to respond, but we do. And we, we need to be reminded how foolish it is, having begun in the Spirit, to start walking in the flesh. For those of us who have been brought to life in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. For your honor and glory, we pray. Amen. For joining us today. Thank you, Phil and Marilyn, for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for being here. I'd just like to close with the words that Jesus said. They saw him walking on the water, coming to them, and they were afraid. They were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. I hope that you realize that you were here by invitation today. The kids aren't here anymore, but when you go to a kid's birthday party, you usually get a little trinket bag, a favor bag, or a, a treat bag to take home. I'd like us to go thinking what is the little treat bag that we are taking which one of those questions are the ones that we need to have on our mind as we go what what is it that we can take away from here that this wasn't just a church gathering a social get together but it was actually a meeting and an experiencing god and him giving us something for this week is it what we can do for him is it what he can do for us or is it us having our eyes opened, the eyes of our hearts opened to what he is doing in this world, what he is doing around us, and then being open to joining him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that you are the creator. You are the beginning and the end. You are the one who sees the big picture, knows the big picture, and has created the big picture. And we thank you for that. We, we worship you for that. And as we go our way now, Father, would you open our eyes that we could see the spiritual truths all around us. We thank you again for Jesus. Thank you that he is the one who gives us life, who opens our eyes and enables us.
to join you in your story. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the sunshine. Have a great Sunday.